Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 7 and 8 of Insurgent. Where we left off, they're still at the Amity compound. It's, it's been pretty dull so far, but she just had an altercation with Peter because he was going to steal the hard drive. And then she got knocked up with some happy juice which I think was just LSD. And apparently the Amity have been lacing that in the bread. So that explains all the happy-go-lucky vibes around town. And they're acting like this is a bad thing. I, I don't know, I'm not against it. And I remember last week saying, oh God, I hope that doesn't last forever. But she starts this chapter saying, the serum wears off five hours later. And I was like, great, that's great. But apparently <laughs> Tobias had just locked her in her room for the rest of the day and checked on her every hour. He was like, I don't have the energy for this. So last book, he was her teacher and was grooming her. Now he's locking her in a room. So I'm always keeping us guessing that Tobias. And when he comes in after the five hours and it's all worn off, he's like, oh, thank God. I thought I was going to have to leave you here. <laughs> he was just going to ditch her at the Amity compound. <laughs> Because he just did not want to hang out with someone who was happy. And I kind of get it. I kind of get it, Tobias, because you know how sometimes there's those people that are just so cheery and you're like, ugh. And they're nice to be around. They can be your friends. They can be great people. But sometimes, sometimes you don't want to hang out with someone who's that cheery, especially when you're not feeling cheery. They say happiness is contagious, but I disagree. Because sometimes you just want some distance from all of that cheer. And Tobias, he did not want a bar of Triss being happy. And Triss, she's now pissed off. She's like, I want to kill him. I want to kill him. And Four says, well, don't bother. We're leaving soon anyway. We're leaving soon anyway. Tomorrow. They're leaving tomorrow. But we've, we've just thrown that timeline out the window. And then he gets the hard drive and he says, I thought we could hide this behind your dresser. And Triss is like, what dummy? That's where it was before. And he says, yeah, and that's why Peter won't look for it here again. Ah, oh, that logic doesn't sit well with me. It's just like Bella fucking Swan saying, let's go to Phoenix where James knows that I will go <laughs> because he'll never think to look for me in the most obvious place where I say I'm going. Same logic. Oh, let's hide it where Peter's already found it because he'll never look there again. Yes, he will. Like, uh, why are we just paying Peter no dust? I think Peter's got enough sense to look at the same place twice. But Tobias shoves it behind the dresser. He doesn't care. And so then Triss says, which is a really good point. She says, why couldn't I fight the peace serum if my brain is weird enough to resist the simulation serum? <laughs> why not this one? Oh, 
The, the things we've got to ponder with these books. Why does one serum work and the other one doesn't? Who knows? And four, he says, I don't know. Maybe in order to fight off the serum, you need to really want to. And I was like, oh, no, no, let's not engage in this logic. It's a self-aware plot hole. That's all it is. But he's sort of being a bit patronizing with it. He's like, maybe you wanted to be happy. And <laughs> I don't know. Triss has never seemed like a bundle of laughs, but she even contemplates and she thinks, oh, maybe he's right. And then Tobias makes a joke and he plays around being like, oh, I'm, I'm not that nice either. Maybe that's why I like you too, which is a callback to her being all doped up saying why she likes him. And then they kiss and that's the end of that little section. And then she says that evening, I am too embarrassed by what happened to go to dinner. So she spends some time hanging out in the orchard, picking apples. She's reenacting the apple picking scene from Dear Evan Hansen. And so I'm thinking, we're just never going to go and do laundry duty then, Tris? Like, I thought she was meant to be doing laundry today, but she's blown that off to go and pick some apples. But then while she's picking apples, she hears a sound and she's like, what's that? And then she realizes it's cars. I kind of forgot that cars existed in this universe, but they do. And she says the Amity, they own about a dozen trucks that they use for transporting goods, but they only do that on the weekend. And she's thinking, it's not the weekend. So if it's not the Amity, maybe it's the Erudite. And so she starts climbing up the trees to get a better vantage point. And in her mind, that reminds her of climbing up the Ferris wheel. And I'm like, don't remind me, Veronica, I'm still triggered. But she tells us the climbing feels easier than it did with the Ferris wheel. Oh, that fucking Ferris wheel. And so she's climbing, she's climbing, she's climbing. She steps her foot on a branch that looks pretty thin and like it's going to break. And she's like, oh, that looks like it's going to break. And then she steps on it to test it and it breaks. And she, she falls a little bit down the tree and she gasps at the shock of it. It's like, what? You, you just told me it looks like it was going to break and then it broke. Anyway, she's now on her tippy toes, staring off out of the orchard, trying to look at the road. And she sees cars with black roofs, solar panels, which means only one thing. It's the erudite. So she's seen enough from from a distance that she can tell that it's a solar powered car. And then she's just assumed that's erudite. Obviously, they're the only ones smart enough to know how to harness the power of the sun. And so she starts freaking out because obviously they're there to get the hard drive, kill her, da 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 da. So she jumps down the tree and then she starts running through the orchard. She's trying to get back to the compound as quickly as she can. And she says, as she's running, she's counting the rows of trees as she passes them. She's like seven, eight, nine, 10. And then she's like 11, 12. And when I reach the 13th row, I throw my body to the right. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care how many rows of trees you're passing. Maybe this would mean more to me if I knew that there were 13 rows of trees before you could get to the compound, but I I, I don't know what you're doing this countdown for or count up. I don't know what you're doing counting for, Triss. But then she gets to the dining hall and she throws open the door and she's like, Herodite, the Herodite are coming, the Herodite are coming. Well, actually, I don't think she yells at all dramatically, but she does whisper it to Tobias when she sits down next to him. (laughs) And then he's like, oh, they're coming here. And she's like, yeah. And he says, do we have time to run? And I'm thinking, I don't know. They're in cars. They're in vehicles. I don't know how they've managed to get there after Triss. They must be almost there, right? 
Unless solar power is just pretty patchy because I think it's nighttime. I, I don't know how solar powered cars work. Then the other abnegation at the table are listening in and Susan, boring old Susan, she says, why do we need to run? The Amity established this place as a safe house. No conflict allowed. Oh, poor sweet Susan, you poor sweet summer child. You're an idiot. The the Aaronite just killed half of abnegation, more than half, probably your family, dead. And she's like, oh, we'll be fine. And Marcus says, the Amity have trouble enforcing that no conflict policy. How do you stop conflict without conflict? And Susan nods like it's a great point. And Marcus really thinks he nailed it with that one. But like, mate, have you ever heard of Gandhi? Have you ever heard of passive resistance and nonviolence? That's how you combat conflict without conflict. But maybe, maybe they don't know who Gandhi is. Peter's like, we can't leave. We're going to have to run, but there's no time. Tobias says, Triss has a gun. We can fight our way out. So he's just announcing to everyone that Triss has a secret gun. So he starts walking towards the dorm. And then Triss says, wait, I have an idea. And she scans the crowd of abnegation. And she says, disguises. The erudite don't know for sure that we're here. (laughs) We can pretend to be Amity. (laughs) Oh God, what a brilliant idea. I thought you were all wearing Amity clothes anyway. So Marcus tells the abnegation to dress like Amity. Ah, sure. So they're going to disguise themselves from the smartest people in the whole city. A red and yellow schmock will cover up everything. So Triss runs to her bedroom while the rest of the abnegation are getting changed. This is how much time we have. I thought the cars were approaching. Did they stall or did they run out of petrol? Well, no, they're solar powered. Did they crash? So Triss is in her room. And she's trying to find the gun under the bed. And so she gets the gun. She has a little bit of PTSD about not wanting to touch the gun because I think she's getting flashbacks to that time she killed Will, even though she could have easily shot him in the arm. But she gets the gun. She puts it in her pants and she steals some of the medicine that was lying around as well. And then she reaches behind the dresser for the hard drive. But she's thinking, ah, if the erudite catch us, they're probably going to search us. And I don't want them to find the attack simulation data. And so she thinks she's going to have to destroy it. But then she's got this whole little quandary because she says, oh, there was also surveillance footage from the attack of my parents' death. The only piece of them I have left. And because the abnegation don't take photographs, the only documentation I have of how they looked. So she, she wants to hold on to it to rewatch her parents getting murdered. Is that what I'm reading here? She's like, oh, I don't have any photos of them. So I'll just watch this video of them dying. Surely that's traumatic. I don't know why if you had to pick a souvenir, that would be it. And she says, years from now, when my memories begin to fade, what will I have to remind me of what they looked like? Bitch, they don't even know what they looked like because they weren't allowed to look into mirrors. Also, why are you assuming that you're going to live to the end of this saga? Like, I don't know about that, Triss. And then she's full on talking to herself. She's like, don't be stupid. And then she's hugging the hard drive, which is very sad. And then she's telling herself not to be stupid again. And then she finally grabs the bedside table lamp and she smashes the hard drive to pieces. Why did they keep the hard drive in the first place? I don't really remember why. I'm sure they came up with a reason, but uh, it's not a great reason. As if you wouldn't want to destroy that in the first place. Never mind. She sweeps the hard drive pieces under the dresser and then she walks back out into the cafeteria. 
And then she says a few minutes later, she sees a small crowd of gray clad men and women standing in the hallway, sorting through stacks of clothes. Oh my God. A few minutes later, we've got all the time in the world. They're just picking clothes, sorting clothes. Just grab a shirt and chuck it on. I don't know why you're trying sizes here. And Tris doesn't want to give up her gray shirt because it was her dad's. <sighs> okay. Fair enough, whatever. And so Caleb says, oh, all right, I'll wear it under my red shirt because it won't be seen. Okay. So she grabs a shirt and she ducks into a nearby room to change. How much time do they have? This is ridiculous. And then she gets to the hallway and there's Tobias stuffing abnegation clothes into a trash bin. Uh, All the time in the world. Do we not think that Erudite are going to search the premises and find all of these gray clothes? Oh, whatever. And she says Four is wearing a red collared shirt and a pair of jeans that are fraying at the knee. And she says the combination looks ridiculous on him. Okay, I feel attacked. I swear I've worn that exact outfit before and not that long ago. So what's she trying to get out here? Is that a bad look? Are jeans frayed at the knee not in? Because I was wearing that tonight. I am not Four Tris shading me right now. And she makes fun of Four for the shirt. And he says, it's the only thing that covered up the neck tattoo, okay? And she's like, oh, I forgot about the neck tattoos and all the tattoos. Oh, well, apparently red and yellow clothes can't hide everything. What a spanner in the works. And then the erudite cars finally pull up to the compound. Uh, What back streets were they driving on? Ridiculous. And she must be outside watching them or there's windows. I don't know. She says there's five cars, all silver with black roofs. Yeah, we know. (sighs) And then they pull up to the building. They open the doors. The cars all pull to a stop and the doors pop open. Oh God, we're getting the full rundown of a car parking and people getting out of it. Long story short, there's five men and women in erudite blue and about 15 in dauntless black. So five cars, 20 people, they've really packed them all in. And she also notices that the Dauntless, they have strips of blue fabric wrapped around their arms, signifying their allegiance to Erudite. And it's kind of fucked up because they're no longer under the simulation, I believe. So it's of their own free will, but whatever. And so then Tobias says to her, you have the gun, right? And she says, yes, but there's no guarantee I can fire it with any accuracy with my left hand. Okay, use your right hand then. no, no one's got a gun to your head saying, use the gun in your left hand. Just, just, just use your right hand. And then Four kisses her and he says, just bounce a little when you walk and pretend you're afraid of their guns and act like a shrinking violet and you'll be fine because they have to pretend that they're Amity. But surely by now, Four and Triss are the two most recognized rebels. I'm sure the Erudite have, if not CCTV footage or a photo, at least a sketch artist has come up with a profile of them. And I'm sure that these dauntless people, these dauntless people will recognize them. They were dauntless. I don't know why they think they're gonna get away with this. This plan is just so silly. And then the bell rings, summoning them all to the dining hall, which is where the Amity gather. And four interests slip into the group of abnegations dressed as Amity. And she pulls pins out of Susan's hair because she's like, that hairstyle, it's, it's not Amity. And then she sees like all the kids just walking like morose, like abnegation would. And she says, tell the kids to play tag. And Susan's like, tag? And she says, they're acting all stiff. 
and she cringes that she used the word stiff because that was the word people used to use to bully her, but she just did it. So I guess she's reclaiming the word. I don't know. So they tell all the kids to play tag and I guess that works. And then she, <laughs> and then she says, Caleb catches on and he jabs Susan in the ribs so that she shrieks with laughter. Oh, Caleb catches on like it was some top secret plan. <sighs> And she's walking, swinging her hands and bouncing up and down. And she's like, wow, this is really going to (laughs) work. No, it's not. And then she walks past a pair of dauntless traders and she stiffens because she's like, oh no, it feels real to me suddenly that I am unarmed and being herded into a building surrounded by erudite and dauntless. And if they discover me, there will be nowhere to run. They will shoot me on the spot. Okay. What do you mean you're unarmed? I, I know for a fact you have a gun in your pants. Why is she telling us that she's unarmed? You are literally armed. So they get to the dining hall. They sit down. None of the Dauntless are recognizing them. The plan works. And then Joanna, she walks in with an erudite woman. And this woman, (laughs) she's searching around the room. And Tris narrates, I hold my breath as her eyes find me and then let it out when she moves on without a moment's hesitation. She did not recognize me. Not sure how, but also you haven't met this person. So if, if photos don't exist, then how would she recognize you? So then Joanna says, our erudite and dauntless friends are looking for some people, several members of abnegation, three members of dauntless and a former erudite initiate. In the interests of full cooperation, I told them that the people they were looking for were in fact here, but have since moved on. They would like permission to search the premises, which means we have to vote. Does anyone object to a search? And then they, then they have to vote on whether the Erudite and the Dauntless can search the compound. So it's like, great job, Joanna, for lying and saying that they're not here. But also the search is going to turn up all these great clothes. It's going to turn up the smashed hard drive under the dresser. And we're really banking on none of the Amity just being like, oh, Joanna, actually, sorry, you're mistaken. Um, they're over there. And also we need to be really lucky that the Erudite or the Dauntless, none of them grew up Kanda because if you grew up in Kanda, you can spot a liar a mile away. Even if you didn't go through Kanda initiation, if you just lived there until you were 16, you can spot a liar. So hopefully this Erudite person doesn't come from a Kanda background. But the plan's working. So the Erudite woman, she says, three of you stick around to the Dauntless guards. The rest of you search all the buildings and report back if you find anything. For an erudite, she's not being that smart because you're looking for people. Just go up and look at the people. You just made eye contact with Tris and didn't recognize her. So clearly you didn't plan ahead with a photo. Why would you send someone to find them who's never seen them before? Are the erudite just relying on them to never change clothes? I feel like Janine should have stepped up and attended. Janine would have clocked Tris and four in a heartbeat. And so then the Dauntless are walking around and she's like, oh, I hope they don't recognize us. And it's like, you're from Dauntless. Surely you've met these people before. How big are the factions? They should at least recognize four because he was kind of a big deal. He was up in the ranks. And one of them does come up close to four and she says, "Mm, your hair is pretty short for an Amity. And he says, it's hot, which is just not an Amity response. So yeah, blew it four. You blew it. And so then this dauntless guard, she pulls out her hand and pulls back at the collar of his shirt and she sees all the tattoos. And obviously only dauntless have tattoos. 
So Tobias, he's like, shit, we're caught out. And he activates and he grabs the woman's wrist. He yanks her forward. She hits her head against the table. Then there's a gun going off and everyone's scattering, except for Triss. She has a little PTSD moment where she's back in the alleyway where her mum died and she killed Will. So she's having a stress flashback. But meanwhile, Four's overpowered this Dauntless. He's taken the Dauntless person's gun and he's now using her as a human shield as he starts firing over her shoulder at all the other Dauntless soldiers. Now that's impressive. And then he's like, okay, Triss, little help here. Like, hello, we are in a fight for our lives. And so she's like, oh yeah. So she reaches for the gun. And while she's doing that, another Dauntless guard has his gun drawn and pointed right at her face and she's frozen. She's not firing back. She doesn't know what she's doing. So Caleb, he activates and he lunges forward, grabs the gun off Triss because he's like, what the fuck, babe? Like, you're not going to use it. Let me. And he shoots the Dauntless person's knees. So even Caleb's like, no need to go for a headshot. It's just Triss that (laughs) wanted to kill Will, apparently. Everyone else is shooting limbs. Oh no, I take it back. (laughs) The next sentence, the dauntless man screams and collapses, his hands clutching his leg, which gives Tobias the opportunity to shoot him in the head. So Tobias is shooting people in the head. Triss, you're not alone. So then Tobias has his gun pointed at the erudite woman and he says, whoever's with us, start running to the room. And so all at once the hidden abnegation, they start gapping it. But then she sees the erudite woman pull a gun and aim it at someone wearing a yellow shirt. So that could be an amity. It could be an abnegation. We don't know anymore. The colored coated clothing has just been thrown out the window. And Tris finally wakes up. So she pushes the guy out of the way so he doesn't get killed. And guess who the person was? It was Peter. I bet she's regretting it instantly. Ah, the yellow shirt tricked her. She accidentally saved Peter's life. What a bummer. And so then Tobias is in a standoff with the erudite woman and he's like, drop your gun or I'll shoot you. So she does drop the gun and then they just gently back out of the room and then they run once they're outside. They're in the orchard, apparently. I need a layout of this Amity compound because uh, it's just 13 rows of trees and then you're all of a sudden in the dining hall and then there's those dorms and then everyone's in a hallway. Uh, So she's sprinting down the 13 rows of trees and then she can hear car doors slam and the purr of engines chases her into the trees. But we all know she can outrun cars as seen at the start of the chapter, so I'm not worried. Oh, and then they're running through a cornfield. We must have gone past the 13 rows of trees and the cars are catching up. So someone says split up. So she's running through the corn, there's screams, there's gunshots, everyone's split up and scattered. We don't know who's with who. Then she says, finally, we reach the fence. Tobias runs along it, pushing it until he finds a hole. He holds the chain links back so Caleb, Susan and I can crawl through. You're telling me there's a hole in this fence? There's been a hole all this time? The whole point of the city is that there's a giant fence surrounding it and there's there's a hole in the fence. Who was on fence maintenance? Was it abnegation? Because they did a shit job. It shouldn't be that easy for four people to find a hole and climb through your fence. And so it's just Susan, Tobias, Caleb. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And Triss, I think. And there's just the four of them, and she's just assuming that everyone's dead. <laughs> Susan says, where are the others? And she says, gone. And then she thinks... The abnegation deaths are just another weight. I am unable to sit down. I don't know if they're really dead, Triss. I think you're just assuming things here. So they're on the other side of the fence. They're following the train tracks towards the city and they're like, there's not much coverage, but don't worry. The erudite in their cars, they're not going to be able to break through the fence. So they'll have to drive around to the gate. And so that will take them a while. So they'll, they'll have a head start. I don't know why they don't realize that the erudite can just get out of the car and also find a hole through the fence since the fence is so problematically filled with holes. So they're running along the tracks. Susan collapses because she's fucking useless. And four, he's like, what was that Triss back there? You froze. Someone was about to kill you and you just sat there. I thought I could rely on you to at least save your own life. He's full on berating her. And Caleb says, hey, buddy. You want to give her a break? You want to chill? And Tobias says, she doesn't need a break. And uh, honestly, I think she does. I think she needs therapy. She's really going through something because she killed her best friend and watched her parents die. I mean, not an easy couple of days for Triss. But she buckles up and she says, I panicked. It won't happen again. And he just raises an eyebrow because he's like, oh, really? And she says, it won't. And Four says, okay, well, we have to get somewhere safe. They'll regroup and start looking for us. We were probably the only ones they were really after, apart from Marcus, who is most likely dead. I don't know about that, Four. Unless I see Marcus and, like, Peter, two substantial characters, unless I see them die with my own eyes or read it with my own eyes, I don't think they're dead. These off-screen deaths, mm mm-mm, not buying into that. So then they're pressing on... Following the train tracks, I guess there's no trains this time of night because the tracks are just empty. And she says, I didn't realize until that moment that Dauntless Initiation had taught me an important lesson, how to keep going. And that's the end of that chapter. Quite a long one. That's why we're only doing two chapters this week. But let's tack on the next one. Chapter eight. She says, we decide to follow the railroad tracks to the city. 
because none of us is good at navigation. How how hard is it to how hard is it to find the city? I mean, there's giant buildings ahead of you. You just zip lined off one of them a few months ago. Surely you could just look at the horizon, see the skyline, and just just follow it. So they're just gonna follow the train tracks. Not that there could be multiple sets of tracks. I don't. Uh. So they're walking, 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 and then she does hear a low groan from the rails, and yeah, a train's coming because they're on the tracks. But but the way she reveals this to us is so weird. She says, I bend down and press my palms to the rail, closing my eyes to focus on the feeling of the metal beneath my hand. The vibration feels like a sigh going through my body. Yeah, a train's coming. I don't think you need to do the Aragon with his head on the rocks trying to hear the orcs running thing. Like, yeah, a a train's coming because you're on the train tracks. I don't know why you need to feel the vibrations. And then she says, I stare between Susan's knees down the tracks and see no train light, but that doesn't mean anything. The train could be running with no horns and no lamps to announce its arrival. Well, it's announcing its arrival through the vibration in the ground, apparently. But also, what are you doing looking between Susan's knees? And then she does see the gleam of a small train car, far away, but fast approaching. Yeah, yeah, a train's coming. I don't know why you needed to wait for the visual confirmation when you already determined that there was vibrations in the tracks. And then she says, it's coming. uh, Yeah, yeah, it is. And she says, I think we should get on. And Caleb says, even if it's run by the erudite. And she says, if the erudite were running the train, they would have taken it to the Amity compound to look for us. The train. Is there only one train? No, no, there mustn't only be one train. It must just be a train. But Tris says it's worth the risk. We'll be able to hide in the city if we can get on this train. Here, we're just waiting for them to find us. So they get off the tracks because obviously they don't want to be run over by a train. And Caleb gives Susan a... (laughs) Caleb gives Susan step-by-step instructions for getting on a moving train. The way only a former erudite can. Because only erudite people can explain things? I don't even think the erudite are the teachers, aren't abnegation the teachers for some reason in this stupid society. So oh, he's explaining the only way a former erudite can, even though he, he's jumped on a train once. Surely if you want to hear from someone about jumping on trains, you'd ask a dauntless, but whatever. So the train comes, they jump on. And then once she's in the train, she looks up and stops breathing because eyes were glittering in the darkness. Dark shapes sitting in the car, more numerous than we were. The factionless. I keep forgetting about the factionless, so I'm glad they're making an appearance. So everyone's on their feet. Everyone's armed. She says, except Susan and me, because Caleb and Four have the guns now. And they all have weapons as well. She says, (laughs) next to Tobias is an older factionless woman who holds a knife. The kind I used to cut bread with. What is she trying to do there? Is she trying to tell us it's a bread knife? Then just say bread knife. Or are you just trying to explain to us the purpose of a knife? We know what a knife is. And then someone else has a large plank of wood with a nail sticking out of it. Someone has a gun and he looks familiar. And she says all the factionless are wearing a mishmash of other faction clothing. They're wearing black, they're wearing red, they're wearing yellow because they're factionless. And she thinks they've stolen the clothes. And it's like, well, maybe they were just wearing them when they became factionless, Triss. And then the man with the gun says, they're not Amity, they're Dauntless. And then she recognizes him. It's Edward, the guy who Peter attacked with a butter knife. So she does know how to differentiate knives. 
a butter knife as opposed to a bread knife. Yes, he was attacked with a butter knife. Remember him? Didn't expect to see him pop up again. Honestly, I thought he'd die. I know if I copped a butter knife to the eye, I'd probably die. Oh, but then she <laughs> but then she immediately says, that is why he wears an eye patch. So, okay, but you never, you never told us he was wearing an eye patch. She made the big reveal and was like, the hint was there all along. He was wearing an eye patch, but you never told us that, Veronica. And so she says, oh, hey, Edward. And he says, hi, Tris. <laughs> and then Susan's crying and she's like, oh, we're running. We're escaping. Please help us. All that bullshit. And Caleb clarifies and he says, yeah, we're running from the erudite. We'd appreciate if you let us ride into the city with you. And Edward says, what have you ever done for us? And Tris, she pipes up and she says, well, well, actually, I, uh, I did clean your wounds. I held your bleeding body in my hands after you got attacked. And Edward's like, all right, I'll give you that. Edward says, yeah, you maybe, but the others, not so much. And then Tobias steps forward. How Edward hasn't recognized Tobias yet, I'm not too sure, since Tobias trained him for weeks and weeks. But Tobias says, my name is Tobias Eaton. I don't think you want to push me off that train. So he's announcing his true name to them. And Edward says, Eaton? Whoa, didn't see that coming. And he says, fine, you can come. But when we get to the city, you've got to come with us. We know someone who's been looking for you. So then they're sitting down. And Tris says to Tobias, do you know who's looking for us? Like what's going on? And he nods. And she says, well, who? And he says, it's hard to explain. I have a lot to tell you. And she's like, yeah, so do I. All she has to tell him is really that she killed Will and she feels bad about it. It seems like Four's holding on to a bigger mystery, but okay. So they catch the train to the factionless area of town and they need to jump off the train because again, trains don't stop. And Susan's a bit worried. She's like, will I get hurt? And Tris says, we'll jump together, you and me. I've done this a dozen times and never got hurt. I really, you've jumped off a train 12 times and that's meant to inspire me with confidence. 12 times? Also, you watched someone jump off of a train and fall to their death on like your first day of being dauntless. So don't act like it's not a possibility. Oh, but she's done it a dozen times. If she'd just said dozens of times, I'd, I'd feel a bit more assured. But oh, oh you've done it 12 times. Congratulations. I've tried poaching an egg 12 times, still can't do it. 12 times. Is that how we're measuring success these days? Ugh. Oh, so they jump off. They don't die, but Susan does get a scraped knee. So that's tough. So they're walking into a building and she's thinking, who could possibly know who Tobias is? They go into a dank room and in the flickering glow of a lantern, she sees people. And she says, people sitting next to rolls of bedding, people prying open cans of food, people sipping bottles of water. Yeah, people, I get it, people. And she says, we are in a factionless storehouse and the factionless who are supposed to be scattered, isolated and without community are together inside it, are together like a faction. And apparently she's blown away by this, but I kind of always assumed that the factionless people hung out. Did you guys assume that as well? but she's blown away. She says, I'm surprised by how normal they seem. They don't fight one another or avoid one another. What was she thinking? And she says they go deeper into this building that was supposed to be abandoned. I don't know if she's annoyed that this abandoned building isn't actually abandoned. Like, how are you cheated, Tris? And then she says, finally, I can't contain my questions any longer. 
and she says, what's going on here? Why are you all together like this? Well, who made you the factionless police, bitch? People are allowed to congregate. And Edward says, well, initially they were all scattered, but then as soon as the stiffs started handing out food and clothing and everything, they, they started grouping together and they got stronger and they waited. And that's how they were when I found them and they welcomed me. So I'm glad that they gave him the whole backstory. And Tris says, well, what are they waiting for? And Edward says, for the world to fall apart. And now it has. And then this killed me. She says the door opens and a severe looking woman with a lazy eye stands in the doorway. Her steady eye scans the four of us. Now, why she got to say she's got a lazy eye? <laughs> why are you going to bring that up, Tris? Why is this becoming a recurring theme? Joanna, she had a scarred face with only half an eye. Edward's now only got half an eye. And now there's this bitch with a lazy eye <laughs> and one steady eye scanning people. What is going on? And Edward says, hey, Therese, this is Tobias Eaton. And Tobias and Therese look at each other and Therese says, yep, certainly is. Hold on. And so Lazy Eye shuts the door. (laughs) She goes to get someone else. (laughs) And then Lazy Eye opens the door again and lets them in. And they're walking into an old boiler room with machinery. (laughs) That really took Tris by surprise in the darkness because she walks into it. Oh, this book's hilarious. They're walking through a maze of metal and they come across a middle-aged woman behind a table. And she has curly black hair, olive skin. Her features are stern. Doesn't have a lazy eye upon first glance. And then she realizes that the woman and Tobias have the same nose, hooked a little too big on her face, but the right size on his. Gosh, she's critical of other people's features. For someone who didn't look in a mirror, like, until she was 16, she's very critical of other people's faces. They have the same jaw, distinct chin, spare upper lip. Spare upper lip. They have, like, an extra one. Okay, no, like, an upper lip without hair, sorry. Um, stick out ears. Stick out ears. She's not des- describing an attractive person. She's apparently in love with this four, but she's not giving him very many attractive physical qualities. Anyway, he says Evelyn, and that's when it clicks for her. I mean, she's just described Tobias's twin, and then she's like, oh, Evelyn, that's the name of Marcus's wife and Tobias's mother. But it is kind of a good twist because she was just reminiscing about her funeral. So we did think this woman was dead, but plot twist, she's not dead. And I didn't see that coming. So snaps for you, Veronica. And so she says to Tobias, you look older. And he says, yeah. The passage of time tends to do that to a person. Classic. So there's obviously tension between him and his long lost mum. Obviously, because sounds like she faked a death and ditched him with the abusing parent, which I mean, I think we all figured that out straight away, but it's going to take Triss a while to figure that out. So just bear with me while I recap. He fills her in on why they're running from the erudite. And Tris says, she must have made him angry somehow, but I can't help but think that if I discovered my mother was alive after thinking she was dead for so long, I would never speak to her the way Tobias speaks to his mother now, no matter what she had done. Okay, if she had faked her death, you wouldn't be a little bit peeved? Tris has troubles with empathy, doesn't she? She's also noticing a map with markers all over it. It's like a city map. 
And then Four introduces them. He says, this is Tris Pryor, Caleb. And she says, Pryor, I know of several Pryors, but none of them are named Tris. Beatrice, however, it's like, yeah, Tris is short for Beatrice. They sound the exact same. It's not that far off. It's not like she nicknamed herself Rusty. And Tris claps back. She says, well, I know of several living Eatons, but none of them are named Evelyn. Which is kind of shady and roundabout. I'd be more direct and say, I thought you were dead. Maybe ask the question being like, hey, I went to your funeral. What's up with that? Caleb, meanwhile, doesn't care. He's looking at the map and he says, oh, those are population counts and they look like they're factionless safe houses. So he's just full on deconstructing the map. Doesn't even need the code. He's just like, yeah, I can figure that all out just from looking at it because I spent two months at the Erudite compound. And he said that out loud to Evelyn and Evelyn says, well, I'm not going to answer those questions. Uh, It's time for dinner anyway. She's like, hello, security breach. So then they go walk into dinner and she's saying, I'm not stupid, Tobias. I know you want nothing to do with me, although I don't understand why. And Tobias snorts and she says, but I will extend my invitation again. We could use your help here. I know you are like-minded about the faction system. And he says, Evelyn, I chose Dauntless, okay? And she says, choices can be made again. And I don't know about that. I I was explicitly told that one choice defines your whole life at the last book and that they only had one choice of faction and that was it. But this dead woman's getting me to second guess everything. Four, however, still pissed off. He says, what makes you think I'm interested in spending time anywhere near you? He says, you don't get it. You don't have the vaguest conception of what you've done to me. I don't want to join up with your little band of factionless. I want to get out of here as quickly as possible. And Evelyn says, we're actually twice the size of Dauntless, just FYI. And that shocks Tris. She says her words echo in my mind. Twice the size of Dauntless? When did they become so large? Uh, uh, obviously they're large if, if all five factions are, are sending their offshoots, their unwanted initiates into factionless. I know Dauntless were cutting people... left and right. Of course the numbers are big. So then Tris says to Tobias, how long have you known about dead mum over here? And he says about a year, she sent me a coded message telling her to meet her. I was curious and there she was. And Tris asks why she left abnegation and he said she had an affair. And Tris, dumb, dumb Tris, she says, is that why you're angry with her? Because she was unfaithful to Marcus? Like, uh, no. And he says, "Uh, no. Too sternly, she says. I don't know if it is too sternly. I think that sternness is justified. Like, obviously he's mad because she ditched him. She escaped the abusive household and left him to rot. He obviously doesn't care who she was fucking with. He doesn't like Marcus. He thinks Marcus just died and he brushed it off and went, oh, well, them's the breaks. Tris, get a clue. Get a clue. And then four out of nowhere says, it seems to me that the factionless are better friends than enemies. And she says, but what would the cost of that friendship be? And he says, I don't know, but we may not have any other option. And that's the end of the chapter. And I I don't know if their conversation was actually heading towards that territory. It was quite of a radical shift from talking about his dead mum cheating on his dead dad and then sneaking out and faking a death. And then all of a sudden they're talking about the factionless maybe being good friends. Like that, that felt like a weird tonal shift. Like she just wanted to end the chapter on something punchy, but she did. And that's that. So I think overall 
quite an action-packed couple of chapters. I'm quite happy with the direction we are now taking. And she, she got me. She gooped me with that little dead mum twist. Quite proud of our girl, Veronica, to be quite honest with you. Anyway, I'll see you guys next week for more factionless nonsense. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.